0: Let's go, folks. Time for the Gibby Show.
1: How you doing, baseball fans, and welcome to another edition of the Gibby Show, brought to you by Miller Lite, the official beer of Major League Baseball and the Gibby Show. I'm John Arezzi. Joining me, the two-time manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. He led the 2015 squad to the ALCS member of the 1986 world champion New York Mets, still a number one best-selling author on Amazon.com, the man who always tells it like it is, direct from San Antonio, Texas, the baseball life for himself, John Gibbons. John, how you doing?
0: Donnie doing good, man. Just, you know, the usual sweating down here, I got to tell you that. You know, uh, and then, uh, you know, watch watching some good, good baseball, some crazy baseball, uh, things just changing, you know, week to week around in that major league at that major league level.
1: Yes, it does. It's a roller coaster for sure for many teams. Uh, but you are enduring uh, a prolonged heat wave down there. And you said that you really never experienced this before because you were always on the road previously in previous summers.
0: Yeah, because, you know, professional baseball, baseball for over 40 years, you know, I'd always leave during the summer, you know. And, and uh, But now I've been in some really hot places too. Yeah. But but then my time in Toronto, I t- the most beautiful summers you'll ever get anywhere. It's incredible. You know, they might have like a week, 10 days of, of a hot, real hot spell, but it's not like this. And then the, the summers up there are gorgeous. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, we'll talk about uh, the Blue Jays today on today's show. A nice bounce back week uh, for them. And also on today's Gabbing with Gibby brought to you by Tim Hortons. It'll be a special one. Joining us will be the uh, former general manager of the New York Mets from 1997 to 2003. He was uh, uh, not just uh, in the minor league system together, uh, but you also worked for this gentleman. My in boss. The he was your boss for a while. We're referring to one of the most renowned baseball analysts. Mr. Steve Phillips will join us today. Then we'll have another roast and toast inspired by our friends over at Miller Lite as well. But, Gibby, let's get right into the leadoff. The Jays bounce back, winning four of their last six games. They hold the third spot right now, if the season ends today, in the American League for the wild card. Uh, Just uh, half a game ahead of uh, the Houston Astros, one game ahead of the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, They won uh, two series in a row, two against Miami, two against Oakland, uh, scoring 23 runs against Oakland in three days. Uh, Springer hit his uh, 55th uh, career leadoff home run, now in second place there. A lot of good things. Vladdy hit a couple of home runs, his first couple at Rogers Center in 2023. Uh, Kikuchi. Looks more confident. Whatever he start, uh, brilliant seven innings uh, this past week. Uh, what stood out for you uh, this week, Gibby? Because uh, I know you always look at it at the glass half full, and this was a positive week for the Jays.
0: Well, Johnny, you got to look at it half full, you know. Because the main reason is they got a good team, right? And you know, it's been it's been a, it's been kind of it's been an up and down ride. There's no doubt about it. And and uh, I think everybody expected, well, you just they're just going to run away with it and. But it's never that easy. But what was key, you know, they, they lost two out of three down there in Texas, and they went down to Miami, and Miami was, you know, arguably the hottest team at the time, along with the Giants, who were coming up. But it, they won two out of three, and they faced some good pitching, right? Okay, and then they come home, and you got Oakland. Everybody thinks, well, okay, that's going to be easy. It's never that easy. It's never you throw you throw the balls and gloves out there, and you and you, and you win. No, it's not. And they it, it wasn't, you know, they got beat that first, that debut, but then they bounced back and won the next two. and uh. You know, so but now's a, now's a big week for them, I think, because you got the Giants coming in who are now the hottest team in baseball, arguably. Yeah, the,
1: the Giants, John, have won uh, twelve of their last fourteen. They had a stretch where they won ten in a row, so they are they're on fire.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then you got the the, the old nemesis, uh, the Red Sox, who the Blue Jays own last year. But you know, these National League teams come in there; it's a good test for those. You know, they, they the American Leaguers they usually play pretty good against the National Lakers. so we'll see, but. You know, it's time to build on something, but, you know, they're sitting in a playoff spot right now, you know, so everybody can uh, come in off the ledge and, and uh, at least for a few more days. And that's just, that's going to be one of those crazy seasons. What, what yeah, everybody expects to, to run away with or would love to see him run away with it. Yeah, that's, that's natural, but is it really, it's great for the sport. You get, you know, you got this competition going on. It keeps going to keep everybody intrigued
1: and focused on it. And, uh,
0: but in the end, like I always say, if you're good enough, you'll get it. If you're not, you won't. Hang with them.
1: Hey, I'd much rather be uh, watching the Blue Jays and their exciting team, in which I do watch all of their games, rather than my nemesis. I'll call them the New York Mets, who are just <laughs> collapsing in a, in a way that is freaking me out. So, I'm happy yeah, to you know, it's
0: hard. New it's our, it's one of it's it's one of those years, you know, and, and you're not gonna. The thing is about playing in New York too that that uh, you ain't gonna yeah, you, you're nowhere to hide, man. Nowhere There's to nice. hide, but you know too. You know, it's, it's almost like the curse of Diaz when he went down that WBC, that was it, you know, it's like, it's affected everything, you know, and the guys are having some off years and, but you know, that's what happens in baseball sometimes.
1: It is, it is. But uh, I do want to talk about Chris Bassett. Uh, He had his second rough uh, outing this past uh, Friday. He gave up uh, four runs and five innings, three of those coming in the first inning and Bassett, kind of surprised everyone in the middle of that game uh, and decided to stop calling his own pitches and handed the game over to Danny Jansen. Uh, He said now that he's thinking of ending that experiment and will let the catchers call the game from now on. I want to get your take on this. uh, As a catcher, as a skipper, isn't that, as far as a pitcher calling his own game, isn't that just kind of... It's just not the way the game is supposed to be played.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, they do. They in reality, they do call their own game. If they if, if, the, if the catcher's calling it the way it used to be, and they put down the sign, they don't want it. You know, they you know they can just throw it or shake it off and go to something else. And if but if you got a real good catcher, like you get Danny Jansen back there, let's say, and he's adamant about something, he'll call time out and go tell the pitcher, "Listen, but, but you know we need to do this." So, so I think what happened this, and I think this all stems from the obviously the the pitch clock, right? You know, because uh, Bass never had this problem in the past, but so he started. It's it's just kind of. We had Russell Martin on uh, a month ago, and Russell was talking about the pitch clock and and the, you know one of the best defensive catchers ever in the game works great with pitchers. You know, saying sometimes the he was t- talking about the pitcher doesn't always realize what he's doing out there, what he what he actually has, and so the the, the a good catcher can kind of just kind of a hey, kind of help get him through different things or take charge, right? And uh, I think that's really what Bass needs right now. Because, in, in the, but I, th- I think he, res- he started doing it on his own because he, I mean, he he's was. Got, under the he's gun got eight the clock.
1: pitches too. He's got eight different pitches, and yeah. so how do you, you know, determine what you're going to call? You leave it up to the catcher. You know, you have eight pitches, and that's the one thing about Bassett last year. He was just uh, he was great, but he shook off the catcher all the time, and that, and you know, there was no pitch clock last year, so that had right. a lot to do with it, obviously.
0: So it'll be interesting this next next start how that how that goes. But uh, yeah, you know we talk. Everybody raves and loves the pitch clock and all that. I get that. We you know we all do a little bit for some reason, but it affects some guys. And clearly, you know one of the top pitchers in the game, it's affecting him. And you hate to see that because you know he's this is his profession, and he yeah. got to a certain spot by doing something a certain way. You know what? Maybe there should be exceptions for everything.
1: Yeah, well, he, uh, you know, he's still dominating. Uh, if you look at him against right-handed batters, they're only hitting 183 against him with three home runs, uh, OPS of 510. But when you turn it around to lefties on the splits, uh, they're hitting 283 uh, with 13 home runs and 972 OPS. So he's certainly having the problems with the left-handed hitters. So um, uh, let's see where Bassett goes. He's a professional, as we both know. He's he's diligent. He's Folk he's gonna get his focus back and uh and and he's had some amazing outings for the Jays so far this year as well. So uh uh we're looking for a great second half from Bassett.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, you but you just hate it, there's so much riding on it. You hate to, the guy he he's he doesn't work well when he's rushed. That's he's just one of those guys and there's a bunch no, of them out there, right? That's so true. but but that's you know that's the way the game is now, you know, we're competing for that metal trophy. Piece of, metal,
1: right. so. the piece of metal. A piece of metal, very expensive piece of metal. Well, you are listening to The Gibby Show, presented by Miller Lite. Uh, John, uh, even though you are in Texas, uh, this is a very special week uh, uh, for Canadians. It's Canada Day on July 1st, and then here in the States, we have the July 4th holiday. So uh, certainly time to celebrate both of these great holidays with some Miller Lite.
0: Yeah. Oh, Johnny, you know, it, it tastes like Miller time. But yeah, I can remember that was always one of my favorite days, you know, because we put on this bright red, look like a Big Tomatoes uh, uh, Canada jersey. You know, we we loved it. You know, the fans loved it. They came, you know, the place is all red. And, and uh, uh, so, yeah, it's a good a good time to drink a couple of Miller lights. You know, so I celebrate Canada Day just about every day down
1: here. There you go. All righty, John. And uh, finally, for the leadoff, uh, the all-star voting has progressed. We're in phase two now. Uh, Five Blue Jays have advanced. Uh, The fans can vote this week, and the uh, starters are going to be announced uh, uh, later this week. Uh, Competing for your votes uh, right now are Blue Jay players, of Vladdy at first base, Whit Merrifield, Matt Chapman, Bo Bichette, and Kevin Karamire. Um, let me ask you on uh, these five guys. Who do you think is going to make the starting lineup for the AL this year?
0: Well, it's got, well, Bo, Bo's got to Bo's got to be on there, right? Yeah, you know, he had such a tremendous year. He's leading the league in hits and all this. Uh, he really did a tremendous job. So who be? I'd, l- I'd love to see them all make it. Whether they do or not, you know, I'm not sure. You know Vladdy, you know Vladdy, as much heat as he's taken, you know, he put his numbers up against most first baseman. you know he, he's he's gonna be he's right right in the mix. It's good to see you know he's he's bounced back over the weekend, you know um, you know Chapman Chapman the player of the month the first month that he's been it was kind of a battle since then, but he's you he look how he started. Maybe hopefully regrouping a little bit. Chit Mary man. Merrifield, you know he's just had a good solid year. this is who he is. his days in Kansas City. He's just a steady player. He's not going to light you up with all the home runs, but he's going to do things to help you win. And then, of course, you got, you know, uh, KK out there in center field. There's not a better center fielder. He just makes things happen. So, you know, the Blue Jays team ought to be proud. And uh, I hope they all make it somehow.
1: Yeah. And a question for you uh, during your days as a skipper when uh, you're. Uh, players were in contention for all-star games. Were you rooting those guys on or would you rather have them take a few days off and rest up for uh, the games that are after the all-star break?
0: Oh, shoot. I, we're, we're rooting them on, you know, cause it's, it's an, it's a nice reward, you know, the anytime, uh, cause very few guys get to go to the all-star game. You know, you have your certain guys that are perennial guys, you know, like we talk about Vladdy Jr., you know, and then um, some other guys that have already uh, also been before, but, it's really an honor, um, so you know they'll get the rest they'll find it's it's a, it's kind of a whirlwind, but they'll find a way to get the rest and uh, uh, but sure sure looks nice yet if you have a major league career, you know you get a couple of all-star appearances, or at least if, you, if you're lucky enough to have one, yeah, pretty cool deal.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, that'll wrap up the leadoff, John. And now it's time for Gabbing with Gibby, brought to you by Tim Hortons. want to tell you about uh, what's going on at Tim's this week. You can cool down with Tim's premium cold coffee drinks, like a handcrafted vanilla ice latte or caramel toffee cold brew with espresso infused foam. Keep it cold with Tim's cold coffee drinks. You can try one today at participating restaurants. In Canada. Today on Gabbing with Gibby, brought to you by Tim Hortons, we bring on someone I've been a huge fan of uh, following the Mets all my life. Uh, He was the general manager of the New York Mets from 1997 to 2003, assembling a team that made it to the World Series in 2000. He's currently a baseball analyst for MLB Network for TSN, for TSN 1050 Radio, in addition to a host on Sirius XM's MLB Network Radio's the lead-off spot. It's our pleasure to bring on gabbing with Gibby, Mr. Steve Phillips. Steve, pleasure to meet you.
2: Uh, Yeah, good to be with you guys. And obviously, with all of those things that I'm doing, overexposure is not a concern of mine. So I'm just willing to go. I'll talk to anybody about baseball. So I'm uh, glad to be on with you guys. And, and Gibby and I go back a long way. So good to see him again.
1: Yeah, I'd like to. Uh, you guys do go back. You were in the Mets system as a player. You both were in the minor leagues together. I believe you're in the instructional league together. And then when you became GM for the Mets, uh, you and Gibby were associated. Uh, why don't you explain to everybody out there how you two guys know each other and your history?
2: Yeah, so Gibby was drafted in 1980 by the Mets, and I was drafted in 1981, so he's older than me, I think is what that tells us. They uh, were right both, both bonus babies. They bonus babies. You were a first-round pick. I was a fifth-round pick. Now, my claim to fame is that in the 1981 draft, the Mets also drafted Roger Clemens in the 12th round uh, out of San Jacinto Junior College, uh, and he was not yet at Texas, and so the Mets Cle- Clemens wanted twenty, wanted thirty five thousand. The Mets had offered him twenty five thousand. And Joe McElvain, the scouting director at the time, flew down three times to Texas to watch Clemens to see if they're going to give him the extra ten thousand. He got rained out all three times. I got Clemens' ten thousand uh, dollars, and so I ended up signing. And so yeah, Mets fans have another reason to hate me that I they got me instead of Roger Clemens uh, back in the day. But Gibby and I go back a long way. Uh, that first year we were in structure league together and, and uh over in Madeira Beach in St. Pete, Florida, Ooh. hanging out there. And and uh uh and then you know, our careers sort of I followed his career as a player. I didn't get as far as he did, obviously, to the big leagues. Uh, but then we worked together when I was in the front office with the Mets and he was uh, uh, you know on the the coaching staff, managing staff throughout our minor league system and and a good buddy and and obviously somebody I've got a lot of baseball respect for and as a person as well.
0: Yeah, Steve. Uh, Steve gave me my first job. Anybody not know, you know, when uh, I was I, was, I could have hung around as a play, catcher in in AAA somewhere, but Steve and Jerry Hunsick were were, were together over there, and they called, and gave me Vern Hoshay, the longtime time v. catch instructor. So they get he gave me my first job, and I really I don't know if I've ever thanked you for that, Steve. I'm probably is more more of a, a thorn in your side than that, but I, you know I want to make sure I, I thank you for that, but. You know, Steve. Steve is one of the best GMs, and I, I guarantee you that that could use him now. You know, and and uh, you know, New York wasn't New York wasn't a a problem for him. You know, a lot of guys go there and they wilt, you know, because of the constant pressure. Steve handled it like a pro, you know, and like you said, he got to the World Series, and that's big up there, man. You know what? That the uh, like our co-host here, he lives and dies, man, and that's what them New Yorkers do. And and you somehow you
2: navigated it, dude. And I, uh, I tip my hat to you. I appreciate it. And by the way, Mets fans are dying right now. So, the yeah. question is, are we going to get through the show okay? Are you going to be all right getting through the show okay right I now? I can not
1: sleep. I can't sleep <laughs> anymore. They're killing me. I can't take it.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's been a tough run. And obviously, yesterday's loss, a really tough one as well. But, uh, uh, but, you know, Gibby, I was proud of Gibby. You know, when he was, it's really interesting because when Gibby was managing the minor leagues, the one thing I was worried about is like, I knew he could be there to support a guy. But I was worried that he'd be there to chew out a guy if he needed it. And then I watched him manage in the big leagues when he's on the mound with Ted Lilly. And I'm thinking, what was I ever worried about with this guy? Like he's And then, and then umpires around the league were just like reeling from Gibby going after them. And I thought, why was I ever worried that Gibby would be able to get in somebody's face? Because, man, he got in a lot of faces over the course of time.
0: Hey, Stevie, I was politicking, though, man. I was in your ear. Hey. Let me Let me. You need any help up there? Let me Bill, you yeah. out. Poor Valentine, <laughs> man. <I'm...
1: laughs> uh, well, John had a good run in the, as a manager in the minor leagues. I mean, a very successful manager down there.
2: Oh, for sure. And you know, look at he's he's Gibby's got a great demeanor about him, right? And and you know, he can be there to support you, but but he's also the boss, uh, and you know, he's respected. I honestly, you think about this, I don't know that there's anybody in the game that doesn't respect Gibby. Uh, and, and, you know, with that, he was always upfront, honest, the players played hard for him all the time. I mean, that's what you want when you hire a manager, uh, you know, you want him to admit the, the players to respect and play hard for him. The other thing is Gibby's got this easygoing demeanor about him that with the media, like I was always like when I'd be in Toronto and I'd watch with the media, like they all liked him and they, and, and therefore, you know, they accepted what he said, they, they interacted well. And so it, uh, you know, it was, uh, he's really good at that stuff and in, in ways that that just came naturally for him.
0: Hey, Stevie, it was like, it's like they, they, they were fascinated by this, this redneck dude, man. It's like going to the zoo, going to the zoo, you know, you see some like caged animal and you're going, everybody's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah,
2: they, they were always waiting for the next gibbyism that was coming out, which is yeah. pretty cool. So they were, they, They'd be waiting for the next reason to chuckle, and, and he always gave it to them.
0: <laughs> oh, God. You know, it's funny. Uh, Bobby Cox, the first time I met Bobby Cox, right, uh, through Jerry Howard, and, and I was talking to him, you know, and and, and uh, you know, I was, he was, wow, it was Bobby. And I said, you got any advice for me, Bobby? Because I was just starting out. He goes, I said, with the media. And he goes, uh, he goes, yeah. He says, you know what? Talk a lot and say nothing. I said and that's man, perfect, but I can do that all. That's what I do. Yeah.
2: So it's funny because I told Bobby Cox, you know, when when I was with the Mets, running of the Mets, and he's he's managing the Braves. At the end of it, I said to him, I said, you know, when I was in the media, I said, if I ever had to pick you out of a police lineup, I'd have to have you turn around because I only know what you look like from behind because we chased you for six years, we never <laughs> went in front of you. I have no idea what you look like at all.
0: So oh, yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs>
2: All right, Johnny, hit him hard. What do you got
0: there, brother?
1: Yeah, let's go to uh, talk about the Jays first. Obviously, uh, we're at the halfway point. They're still there in the wild card hunt. Uh, uh, They were kind of expected to be better at this point. Uh, So I want to get your assessment, Steve, of uh, where the Jays are currently, uh, where we stand today. And uh, what do you think they might possibly need to, to get some more momentum as we go into the second half of the season?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I, I mean, as it as it stands here on Monday, they are a playoff team. They'd be the third wildcard team, half game up, I think, in the Angels. Um, and, you know, they just haven't really had a lot of traction yet this year. It just feels like they they make some progress, they give it up. They make some progress, they give it up. They've not had that really good run of success, I think part of it is Vladdy's not quite had the sort of production uh, that that I think they wanted. That being said, like his expected numbers, if you look at analytics, the expected numbers are like 100 points better in slugging percentage than what he's done because of hard hit rate and exit line. And so like he's barreling the ball. And even his launch angle is twice this year what it was last year, yet he's not hit as many home runs. Now, he did over the weekend get his first couple home runs at the Rogers Center. He's going to go off right now. I really do believe he's locked in. He's going to start to go off. Uh, And look, that Barrios and Kikuchi have turned things around is amazing. You know, the Manoa situation has been the one troubling aspect of the season so far. And so, I mean, that's the one piece of this. And I think if Manoa gets right, I think it solidifies the middle relief a little bit. The bullpens sometimes had to pitch when they didn't really want them to pitch. And so uh, I think that there's a run in them. Uh, I don't know if they're catching Tampa. Uh, and I don't know if they're going to catch Baltimore the way they're playing. But I do think this is a playoff team. Uh, and yeah. they're going to have to fortify the bullpen, and they're going to get Ryu back at some point, but you don't know what to expect there. I don't think they need offense. I think they're going to fortify the bullpen. Maybe if they need to add some depth just to protect the starting pitching, because they don't have a lot of depth, obviously, after Manoa went down, it might be the way to go, but they just need their good players to play well.
1: Yeah, I I want to follow up with you on Manoa for a second. Uh, What what do you think, in your assessment, Was it a physical thing? Was the fact that he gained a little weight wasn't more of a mental thing? Uh, What have you, would you have handled that situation differently um, when it was apparent that he might, and he had problems right, right from the start this year? Yeah.
2: So I would have sent him down earlier uh, than they did. They got there. Uh, But I think this is multi-pronged, right? This is physical where whatever he did conditioning wise, he got thicker in his shoulders and his upper body Uh, and his arm speed wasn't nearly the same. And so that was part of it. So I think there's some physical aspect of it. Mechanically, you know, he, he rushes down the mound and when he, and and whether he, and, and so what, but we don't know is what he, what is he thinking? Is he thinking, I need to throw harder. I'm getting hit. I need, and so, but for whatever reason, his body's rushing down the mound. His arm's dragging behind. He's he's spinning his slider because he's not on top of it. His fastball's flat. And so mechanically, he's got some things to work on. And then they've got to get to the emotional part of what's going on because he was he was hangdog there at the end. It didn't look right. And then mentally, what does he think? So they really have a lot of work to do. Uh, a little bit of work in four areas, I think, to be able to get him back on track. Uh, and so... And it's not that easy, right? Because what a pitcher's thinking sometimes uh, messes up what they physically do give you, right, mechanically what they do. And you can fix the mechanics, but if you don't fix the thinking, then the mechanics, they're going to go right back to that bad habit. And so they've got to fix a lot of that. It was the right move sending them down to Dunedin, get them out of the spotlight. uh, And uh, But it's going to take a little time to get it right. And then you hope and pray that he gets immediate success that reinforces all of the things that they've worked on.
0: Yeah, it's you know what with him it's it's different for him. You know, I mean, because he he, what third in the Cy Young last year. You know, if he'd just been average Joe, you could have done it. And you know, but it but this guy's had so much success so quickly. You're going now. It gets a little bit. I mean, it's a tougher it's a tougher decision, obviously. You know, Steve. You know what. Do you think any? Remember, they were talking about like he. I think the, in twenty-one, he threw a hundred innings, maybe max, and then he bumped up to two hundred. Because I I know the 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 focus is in the minor leagues has changed a lot. To you know, you can right. bump them x number of innings. It's probably the smart thing to do. So the, that might have had some effect, and then maybe, you know, I've I've heard through the grapevine, you know, that the, you know with the pitch clock, right? I mean, he's a big guy. He likes to take his time. things, things like that. Maybe that could affect them a little bit. You know, where
2: everybody's scratching their heads. Yeah. Well, I think the pitch timer, I mean, if you think about it this way, if you, th- like, if we were going to say, okay, Gibby, do push ups. Now, again, let, uh, hypothetically speaking here, <laughs> good okay, luck. Let's, like, like, <laughs> I mean, so if Gibby's going to get down to do push ups, <laughs> we say, okay, give us 30 push ups, do it at whatever pace you want. And then we say, okay, give me 30 push ups, but you need to get it done in 40 seconds and how quickly you got to go and how physically different that would feel. That's the thing I think all pitchers are feeling yeah. right now. And it makes you wonder when you get to August and September, the fatigue factor. So I do think maybe there's some part of the pitch timer that's involved there, but I mean, that at some point, everybody's going through that and other guys are thriving. That being said, when you look at the six finalists for the Cy Young award last year, so Verlander started the season on the injury list and he's not been his best with the Mets. Then you look at, at, you know, the other pitchers in the national league, Max Freed, Uh, is on the injured list. Julio Urias is on the injured list. That covers the National League, or the American League. Uh, Obviously, Verlander now in the National League. But Alcantara is not the same guy that he was last year. Manoa's not the same guy. And Dylan Cease, all six of them are lesser this year than they were last year. And so maybe the wear and tear, maybe the pitch timer, Maybe it's just coincidence and it's a different story for everybody, but that is the one thing this year that's been odd is the number of starting pitchers, Scherzer and others who have taken big steps backwards from last year to this year.
0: Yeah. Now do you think they'll adjust it? Did, did I hear something about the, the rules committee or something's gonna get together sometime soon and talk about? It? Do you think they'll add something for the playoffs as far as time? No. The pitch clock. I don't, don't think I, I, gonna... I don't
2: think so at all. I don't. I think that they're gonna they're gonna keep it the way that it is. I think that they're committed to it. And their view is why would we change the rules in September and October, you know, based upon what happens in the season. And, and to a degree, I understand their logic. It's like in the NFL, you know, where you're going to delay a game penalty. Uh, It happens a lot in the NFL. Right. And, and it, and when it happens, we blame the team and the quarterback for not getting the playoff uh, in time, but in baseball, we want to blame the rule. Right. And so, it is, it is one that, you know, and by then everybody should have adjusted to it. And so uh, hitters too, right? Hitters are getting in trouble with this. In fact, the Baltimore Orioles are the one team, they've had one batter that has had a pitch timer violation. They're by far the least of anybody because they practiced it and they're young guys who a lot of them did it in the minor leagues where they're used right. to doing it, right? Right.
0: Hey, well, what about okay? Well, what about the little league rule and extra innings, where the guy starts on second base, and we well, yeah. they don't use that in the playoffs? I mean, yeah, no, that's true, true. If anything, yeah. they put him at first base where he's not in scoring position.
2: You know, yeah, that's true. And, and, and but you and know what? Why would change.
0: you? Why would you change anything if all you're playing for, all these teams are playing for, is a piece of metal? Yeah.
2: Why? Why would we worry <laughs> well, about any of this anyway? No, a billion well, dollar piece you. of metal. So, <laughs> so the commissioner did actually did a Time magazine uh interview just last week. Uh, where he regretted the Astros sign stealing that he did not, that he offered immunity to the players <laughs> and he regretted his sort of off the cuff glib comment about the the piece of metal. Right. So, I mean, it, you know, sometimes the passion of the, the, the commissioner gets him, And then he looks back at it. He's like, yeah, I probably should have said that. And I think he probably caught himself in that moment a little bit, even going after the Oakland A's fans, probably, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago as well. <laughs> hey. He,
0: he needs to hire Jay Hoare, which is his PR director.
2: So. <laughs> Jay, I saw Jay the other day. I was at City Field uh, for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I later got inducted, and, and I, he asked me to be on the field with him, and Jay got a special award there as well that day. So uh, Jay's getting all kinds of honors right now for sure.
0: Good. Oh, that, that's awesome, man. That is awesome. All right, so the Blue Jay. All right, hey, you know what's funny, Steve? You know, you were talking about, you know, what where they're at now, what they need and the, things like this. And I, I, this is the beauty of the wild card, right? You know, we look at it and say, everybody think, well, they've been struggling, they've been struggling, yeah, but they they actually hold a playoff spot right now, you know. And there's been a lot of teams, even in the last few years. You look at the Atlanta Braves who won it all a couple of years ago, right? They were not they 500 until August or something? Right, time it turned ahead? it
2: on. Right, you're right. Came back on the match. Yeah. yeah.
0: So this is where, and you would know this better than everybody, uh, anybody, you know, because I've and I've talked to a lot of people in the game the the trade the trade deadline's coming up this is where the GM's this is a battle between the GM's you know who can who I can identify what that team needs and who can pull it off now as coaches in uh managers and all that we all we think you should be able to have everything right there's no limitations but we, that's that's not the case because you can't you can't trade for anybody you can't pay anybody so there's a lot of things you know that you you have to keep into consider under
2: consideration
0: but this is where the I think the GMs earn your stripes. Don't you don't you think when you're that oh, close yeah. and you
2: get Yeah, absolutely. This is this is I mean, you know, as a general manager, you know, you watch the game and it's agonizing. Like there's not there's no joy in it. It is so painful to watch because you can't you can't hit for them, you can't pitch for them, you can't catch it for them, and it's agonizing to watch because you always you just, just pay resist. him. You just pay him. Yeah, right, exactly. So and yeah, then you just wait for something to go wrong. And then if it doesn't go wrong, you wait for the next thing to go wrong. It's just, it's, it is agonizing, especially in the playoffs, but, but it is your chance to compete, right? As a general manager, you know, all of us have this, this drive to compete as well, but we have to turn it on and turn it off, turn it on and turn it off based on the timing of the season. And so the trade deadline, especially this year, you look at the wild cards in both the American league and national league uh, and the number of underperforming teams, particularly in the national league where you got the Padres and the Mets and the Cardinals they're in a spot like what do they do they spend a lot of money they've got players that have won in the past do they go for it do they not go for it but this is the time where general managers can decide who wins in the postseason right. with the right move because there are guys out there that will put teams over the top teams are going to compete for many of the same guys like Marcus Stroman you know him he's pitching out of his mind right now uh this year tough outing yesterday had a blister in london but he's he's a guy that's going to impact somebody and and you know it, where, and again, you look at some teams who don't need an ace; they just need a solid number two, number three guy. Right. Stroman fits that well because he's that—he's really a number two, three pitching like an ace. Uh, right. And so, yeah, there will be some general managers that will decide the playoffs based upon the acquisitions at the deadline.
0: Yeah, that's where—that's where—that's where you're in your stripes. Hey, how nice would it be uh, uh, Billy Epler? I know he's under the gun and all that. Up there. When you got an owner, this—he he, he don't care what he spends, right?
2: Oh, my God. Make a big difference, I mean, I, huh? So so it's it is honestly. All right. I have owner envy. All right. I have a little over owner envy going on right now. Uh, <laughs> but but I listen, I was I say that in the jest because, listen, Mr. Fred Wilpon, Nelson, Delbert, they, they gave me resources. We did. Our issues were never about resources. They weren't what they are today. I did the math on this the other day that that. For Robbie Cano's forty million, when they released Robbie Cano, he had about forty million left. And at the time, I thought Steve Cohen was worth fourteen billion. I've been corrected now that it's eighteen. But I did the <laughs> math that for somebody who has fourteen billion dollars, forty million dollars is the same as two hundred eighty-seven dollars and eighty-six cents to somebody who has a hundred thousand dollars. Think hey. about that. It's it's nothing. I mean, listen, two hundred eighty-seven dollars is a lot, but it's the same as forty million. To somebody who has Dang. 14 billion dollars. Next, bring somebody else in next. Oh gosh. <laughs> you know,
0: it's a it's a and I know he takes a lot of heat, but it's a beautiful thing, a guy who wants to win, right?
2: Oh That's yeah, just- no, he he's he's willing to pay for it. Uh and 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 here's the thing. you take a lot of heat from other owners is really the thing. Like other owners are all upset because he's making them look bad because he's willing to spend whatever. And, and yet he's gotten burned by it right now. So there's, I'm sure that from other ownership groups, there's some joy in that because everybody's petty to a certain degree, but I do think that in the long run, give me the resources over. Let me try to figure out with less resources and we've got a better chance to win.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. Johnny, what do you got for him on the metropolitans?
1: You're talking about Cohen. I mean, uh, how long is it going to take for him? He doesn't seem like an impulsive guy, very methodical. Uh, But the embarrassment that's happened this season when you have a payroll before the penalty of $353 million, which is really worse than the worst team money can buy that happened in the early 90s. What do you think? he's going to do? Do you think he's going to kind of clean house at the end of the year? Are these guys in jeopardy? Is Epler in jeopardy, even Buck, or is he going to stay committed to those? uh, Yeah,
2: I'd be surprised if, I mean, you know, like like Buck, they they won 101 games last year. I mean, here's the thing. The team that's on the field now is much the same team that won 101 games last year. And so this is what happens in baseball is that there are things that happen from one year to the next. You're like, how is this possible? The Cardinals are asking the same thing, right? They they were like a 94 win team last year and they were great defensively, the best defensive team. And now they're, they're not a good defensive team, but it's much of the same guys. It's just right. baseball does this to you that just when you think, you know, what you're talking about, just when you think you know what you're doing, just when you think you've seen everything baseball happens and stuff. So, so I mean and I got to tell you I don't think that Steve Cohen is overly emotionally impulsive when it comes to this stuff so I don't know that he's going to overreact. I mean Buck Shaw not a worse manager this year than he was last year. They're just the the good players aren't playing well. So and I don't know that Billy Uplers in trouble. Everybody celebrated the moves they made, everybody, even baseball geniuses, you know, that are out there. And, and, you know, you go to any ESPN and baseball tonight, everything MLB, everybody was like, look at what they did. They won a roster and now it's falling apart. So I I don't know that he's going to let anybody go. They might bring in a president of baseball operations. So a David Stearns in Milwaukee, who's out at the end of this year in his deal there, maybe he'll come in and be part of that but I do think they'll do something, but I don't think they're in a clean house. Hey, unless he wants to be another George Steinbrenner. Yeah, I don't, I think he just, I don't know. I I think there's a lot of similarities uh, because he'll get what he wants, right? You know, the other day, Hal Steinbrenner was frustrated about Yankee fans being disappointed in the team with all the injuries and everything else they had, I'm like, wait a minute. Like George would have said, you're right, Yankee fans. We expect more from our exactly. team. We hope so it's like the, the script has been flipped in New York in a pretty significant way. But I don't know that Steve Cohen is going to be as knee-jerk in a reaction as, as certainly George Steinbrenner was.
0: Well, it's exciting for the game, man. You can sit back and, you know, and, hey, that, hey, that's where, you know what? Then, then when you're on them shows, it makes it the shows that much more interesting,
2: right? It, oh, man, listen. I mean, look, we all want either unbelievably great performance or the train wreck. Give us one of those. And and from a media perspective, you know, it works for us to be able to talk about it because it becomes interesting to see what what happens uh, when people are at their best or at their worst. It's when everybody's sort of in between that it's like, where do we go to find things? Although we've got plenty this year with the Reds and the Rays and all these teams now that are playing some exciting baseball.
0: Well, tell me something, Steve, because you know what? It's one thing to be a GM, right? In the big leagues. It's another thing to be one in New York City or like Boston, right? There's, it's, everything's magnified. You know, you could sneak by, you know, if, if the Mets are having this uh, kind of season in the Midwest somewhere, everybody kind of dismisses, you know, and they go about their business. What's it like in New York? I mean, you talk about, you know, you, you,
2: you couldn't have slept, man. I mean, I mean, did you get much sleep yeah, back? Yeah. So, so, you know, it's interesting that, that I'll never forget. We opened the season one day in Miami against the Florida against the Marlins and we lost the game and the, the New York post headline the next day was our payroll was like $90 million at the time. And it said $90 million bust. And I'm like, it's one game. (laughs) So I said to the writer, Tom Keegan, who's a buddy and a character, I said, he goes, yeah, I don't write the headlines. I'm like, I know, but seriously, we lost one game. He goes, no, I know. And so we won the next game. And I said to him, right, what's the headline for tomorrow then? He goes, well, $90 million for a 500 team. I'm <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, man, you can't win for anything in New York. But, uh, I I mean, it is it is different than any place you want to go. Billy Bean friend of the show I heard uh, would, would always sort of reach out to me and say, I would never want that job. I'd never want that job in New York. He said, I, I because one, you get money, your know, payroll money and you spend it because you think you have to. And if you don't, you're going to be judged by the media and it causes you sometimes to make a decision that you might not want to make, but you got to go do it. So you you lose a pitcher, you you lose Mike Hampton to free agency. So you need to get another pitcher. The next best guy in the market is Kevin Apier And you got to pay them a little bit more to get them and you do it. And it's, you start chasing your tail a little bit with it just because it's what you have to do when you have money. The other thing for me was the death, the death threats and stalkers that I had, I had, like, I had a psychologist psychiatrist call up and say that her patient was a threat to my life. Some guy in New Jersey would tear (laughs) up his mom and dad's house every time, you know, somewhat one of my relievers gave up the game and everything else. And that, and that he made threats, To the therapist about me, so she calls, we tell Major League Baseball security, they follow the guy for a couple of weeks and they come in and tell me, they sit down all serious guys in suits and they come in and I'm like, all right, this is going to be good uh, or not. And so they come in and say, well, here's the thing. He's not very healthy. He's not mentally stable. However, we think that if he comes here, he might just hurt himself, but not hurt you. But just in case when you go on the road, in philadelphia and in montreal because it was within reach of where he was in new jersey we're going to pr- provide you with security and i had to have an escort from the bus into the hotel they had to check my room before i went into the room i couldn't leave the room at the hotel they'd bring me from the hotel to damn. the damn yeah i couldn't go on the field during batting practice and then they would station a guard outside the suite where i was watching the game and, and then I had to have an alias on the road everywhere I went, which by the way was Sam Adams. I thought it was a genius alias on the road. Uh, and, but here's like, I would call a general manager, you know, for trades back then. And I'd say, Hey, you know, and I'd get his assistant and, and she said, well, he's on the line. Can I have him call you back? Yeah, you can, but you have to ask for Sam Adams at the hotel. <laughs> like what? So I, you know, and I had, I had another guy who showed up at the stadium Made threats. They grabbed them. Got a restraint. I mean, it was. It was. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. They're not doing this to anybody in Kansas City. <laughs> uh, I don't think. But yeah. So being in the gym in New York could be a little crazy. Hey Johnny. Hey. Wait a minute.
0: Was that therapist? It's not therapist. You've seen it. it was a the
2: distant relative. A
0: years ago.
1: It was. A, it was a distant relative of mine Uh-oh. up there. Hey, I, like I got that. a quick. No, I Go ahead, I got a John. quick
0: one for you. I think it was 80, was it 86? 80. Yeah, 86 or, I was I was I was up in, in the with the metros and I was down in the bullpen. You know that was my job catching warming up guys in the bullpen. You know, I've, I've done that my whole life, man. Even yeah. like my coaching <laughs> credit. I'm good at it. But anyway, so we're sitting there in their um uh, burnhoe was the bullpen coach, but the, there, there was like two rows of seats, and we had that TV out there in the right field corner. It's Shea, right? The bullpen? Right. So I'm sitting in the front row, and we got the TV, so we're watching the game, and you can see out through the plexiglass. And there's some guys sitting behind it, Randy Myers and a couple other guys. And we always had this, this security guy there who's a retired New York City cop, right? So we're sitting there one day, and I'm sitting, kind of in the corner of my eye, I see this guy walking down. You know how that – you could get all the way around Shay underneath, right? Right. And he, and he comes he, – he kind of walks up, and I kind of glance at anything. In the oven. Then I hear some commotion. Then I hear Randy Myers but whatever. Next thing you know, you hear a wham, right? Randy Myers body slammed this guy right and now now our security guy down there, he's got these steel toe boots he's kicking on this guy this is the bullpen <laughs> we got a game going on uh,
2: he's so, well. <laughs> Randy Myers I room with Randy Myers in the minor leagues that's right and, you would have been I did I room with Randy in the minor leagues he played in Columbia the year I was there and uh wow so it was not an act none of that was an act no at all. Yeah, no. we called them Wojohowicz, Wojo Hoets, Wojo, because he looked <laughs> yeah. like from the Barney Miller show, he looked like Wojo there because he used to get his hair cut straight across. He was he was a different character, though. Man, the the number of characters and different personalities that if people really knew, like you got to know a player on the mound, but if you really got to know some of these guys, there was some real characters that that came up during the course of time in baseball for sure. It, I think I'm sure every sport does, but baseball, man, there are some some crazy folks that played this game.
0: Oh yeah, well, you, yeah, you got to be a little nuts, man. Either that <laughs> if you if you come in normal, you end up nuts, you know. <laughs> exactly. Things we're talking about. But anyway, and that guy that came back to the end of the cops came down and arrested me had like a big old Bowie knife in his bag, and he had, wow. he, had lith- he had lithium in his bag. I guess they just released him from some mental hospital, and he was.
2: It's like, <laughs> well, that's but what he, happened. I get it. That's what happened with my guy who showed up the stadium. He, he said I, he wanted me because I was giving money out to all the players. And so he wanted me to give him some money. <laughs> and so, and he came back a few times, then they grabbed him one time and he took off and he left a bag behind that had a Bible in it, you know, and the security guys mm. get worried that, that, you know, they may be hearing voices. And so we got a restraining order. The police ended up, uh, you know, the papers got it, called this poor guy's family. I felt horrible for the guy. I mean, he obviously wasn't healthy. Uh and his family said, We don't think he'll hurt anybody. He just isn't really oh, healthy. Okay. You know? Well, I'm so glad they, you don't. Yeah. So they yeah, they took care of him. But they used to tell me, don't take the same route home every day. Uh, and make sure nobody's following you when you're going home. I'm like, is this job worth it? Like, what am I doing here? <laughs>
0: hey, dude, you got to the World Series, man. You know yeah, right, right it was. It was it worth
1: did. it. It was worth it. it. I, I do uh, you know, talking about New York I mean at the good points, the bad points of it, but um uh I wanted to talk to you about um September 21st, 2001, yeah. um, the first baseball game in New York <clears throat> after 9-11. Uh, Mets versus Brave, Piazza hits that home run in the eighth inning that literally helped lift New York City and even the country up a little bit after the attack. As a general manager of the New York franchise during that dark time, take us back, if you wouldn't mind, to kind of share some of the memories of, of uh, that time period in New sure. York and you was a GM for the for the Mets. Yeah.
2: So on 9 11 itself, uh, I was driving into say stadium. We were scheduled to have organizational meetings. But we were gonna do them over the phone and and, and conference calls. Uh, and I was driving in and I had the news on and somebody called in and said a plane had hit one of the trade centers. Now, at that point, they thought it was like a commuter plane They used to pull around the banners behind it that would fly around the city and that. And then Uh, I got up over the bridge and it was a clear day. So you could kind of see in there. Uh, And then I heard that another plane had hit. So when I got to the offices, everybody was around the TVs. People were crying. It was really, it was awful. And so at that point, it was pretty clear that, you know, we were, the team was in Pittsburgh at the time. So I I told everybody go home because they're going to shut down bridges. They're going to be hard to get out of town. So get back to your families. And I wanted to get home too. So we all left. I called Jay Horowitz in Pittsburgh uh, and woke him up and got him in watching the TV. And so we, we didn't know what was going to happen with the season. So we kept everybody there in Pittsburgh, but then we were across the street from a uh, federal building in Pittsburgh at the hotel there. And, and then when the plane in, I think Shaw, Shankville, Pennsylvania went down too, you know, there was a thought that we needed to get. So we moved them out to a different hotel out of the city Uh, and we waited a day or two and then brought everybody home. The players were anxious to get home because their families were all here back in New York. Right. And so it was really an emotional time. Uh, and you know, when the players came in and went over the bridge, there was the, the, the story was that they were all looking down toward, you know, ground zero and you could see some of the smoke coming up and that it just was silent on the bus as they went back there. And so we got everybody back to the stadium. We were there in the front office. Ownership was there. We met everybody comforted them, you know, told them what we're going to do. And in the meantime, Shea Stadium became a distribution point for supplies to get taken into Ground Zero. Uh, also, firefighters who had come in from around the country were staying at Shea Stadium. We had set up cots down in the, in the uh, concourses where they could go in, work their ship, come back, rest. We were providing food for them in the concession stands. Uh, and then in the ensuing days we would take batting practice. The, the police firemen would come out onto the field, they'd take batting practice with us. I mean, we really sort of engaged the community, but it was such a scary and emotional time. And then when the thought was we're going to come back and play, uh boy, I, I sat in meetings with the FBI, Office of Emergency Management, uh, you know, the police department, the fire department, uh, and in Port Authority. And I'm sitting in meetings and and listening to everything it's going to be to get us through that. I'm thinking, what are we doing? Like, should we be coming back right now or not? And the day of the game, um, you know, I was having to have a meeting with our players about an evacuation plan that if something were to happen during the game, this is, we don't want you going to the stands. We're going to get the families out. We're going to meet. And I'm thinking what has happened? Like the world changed like that for everybody, and so it was such an emotional time and a scary time. And one that, you know, with, with the fact that that Shea Stadium was right next to LaGuardia airport. Uh, you know, my thought was, if you want to change American lifestyle, hit a sporting event, think what that does to all of us. Right. And, 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 you know, for our leisure time and our enjoyment and the fear that could come with that. But, you know, it was, we had to get back at some point. And so you know, I sat through the meetings that day Uh, you know, they brought bomb sniffing dogs through, uh, it's when they started setting up all of the metal detectors. Uh, and it was quite an undertaking. At some point I was so overwhelmed that I went up to the suite where I would watch the game and I just needed to get away. And I'm sitting up there and I look down on the field and Diana Ross is down on the field with a gospel group of high school kids and they're rehearsing, uh, God bless America. Uh, and, and, She's singing, and these and the kids are singing. And she's going around to each one, looking in their eyes and touching their faces. Like I started bawling. I like I was bawling because all of the emotions of everything that had been going on with that was hitting me. And so I'm thinking, all right, so we're gonna play the game. So they had the metal detector set up, and so you know the national anthem was was it gave you goosebumps. The chanting of USA gave you goosebumps. The players wearing the the hats honoring and representing the. You know, the first responders in New York City was so appropriate. We're playing the Atlanta Braves who, you know, were our nemesis forever. And yet, you know, the Braves, you know, everybody liked New York at that point. It was such a change. Everywhere we went, we got booed and it was, but everybody was cheering for us. And even the Braves were like so supportive and Bobby Cox and Bobby Valentine hugging each other. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought I'd see that, right? And so, uh, so the game goes on. And at one point I go downstairs downstairs. And just before the seventh inning stretch, I'm down on the concourse, and Liza Minnelli is going to come in and sing New York, New York. Now, Liza Minnelli got wheeled in in a wheelchair. She had she a had degenerative hip issue going on. She got she was all made up. She had sequin top on her. And she gets wheeled in in a wheelchair and you know, like barely gets up out of her chair. And the next thing I know, she puts on her face, she, you know, Lifts up her head and she goes strutting out there onto the field. I'm thinking, oh my gosh! Like I just saw her get wheeled in right there, and she goes out and sings, and then she's doing the leg kick with the firemen and the policemen, like the <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thinking that is one of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen, and nobody else would have known about it. So she gets off, she's smiling, walks back, slumps over, gets back down on the wheelchair afterwards, and can barely get through it. But what she gave everybody in that moment. Was like again. Everybody wanted to give something back to try to help everyone heal, and then obviously, you know, the Piazza home run in the eighth inning. Uh, you know, the pitch to Alfonso, the two pitch, the two strike pitch, which was borderline. They got called the ball. That he works the walk. He gets on. And Karsey on the mound. Steve Carsey, a New York kid on the mound. Uh, I think from Christ the King in in Brooklyn. Uh, and and then Piazza hits the home run, and I remember leaping up and just we were all of us were in the booth, my assistants and I were all crying because like this is what if 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 there was a storybook ending, if there was if the baseball gods that we talk about a lot in you know in, in somewhat jest, but to, if they were going to touch this game, that was the outcome that it should have been was Piazza hitting that home run, and the Braves seemed okay with it. It was just it was. It was such a day of healing and and celebration and victory really for what New York needed in that moment. I mean, honestly, it could not have been scripted any better than, than being, wow. and being part of that and, and being a part of the Mets organization was such an honor to be able to to know everything that went on behind the scenes and how the people in Mets organization and then what New York City did to rally around everything taking place at that time. It was, it was really, I'll never forget the emotions of all of that. Wow.
1: I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, that was an amazing time and you can't watch any of the replays from that game from Liza singing to Diana Ross, to the, everything that went through the emotion and, and the Piazza home run. You can't watch that today without getting cold chills.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. It was such it's such an honor and an experience to, to be part of the healing for all of that. And, and I gotta tell you that, you know, Piazza had a lot of big home runs. Uh, but I think by far that was the biggest and most meaningful home run. And it didn't get us to the playoffs, it didn't win a playoff game, it didn't win a World Series, it wasn't a subway series matchup with anybody. It didn't beat, you know, it didn't get us anywhere other than victory for New York at the time. And it it, it was the the right time of the right moment for that. Wow. Well.
0: David, that is unbelievable. Well, listen, hey, hey, we want to thank you, man, coming on here and, and uh, sharing that. We got to quit on that, man. I'm, I got, I got chills
2: right now, brother. Yeah, you know, no, it's good to be on with you guys, man. Really, Gibby, good, good to see you. Good, so much fun to visit, and uh, you know, look forward to hopefully doing this again sometime. Yeah,
0: yeah, we'll have you back as the season goes along to get your expert opinion on that. Like I said, I love watching on MLB Network because you're that balance. You know, the the game's so crazy with the analytics now. That uh in a lot of people like that. A lot of people, I mean, there's you know, there's both sides of that. But you got that balance, which I think is the important part. The good teams have that balance, right? They're smart enough, the, the good coaches and all that. And you have that, and you kind of a good equalizer over there. So and well, anyway, I but hey, it. you're working hard, brother. Man, enjoy your vacation. Well deserved.
2: All right. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see you guys, John. Thanks so much. And and uh hopefully we'll talk to you guys again soon. Yes.
1: We got thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, stevie
1: What a great guy steve phillips a great uh segment john gabbing with Gibby, and that uh, that nine eleven story really touched me hearing that
0: yeah you know what johnny it uh you know it's, it's been a while since it happened but you know you hear here he was right in the thick of it right yeah. you know from you know going to work that day and, and uh uh you know us on the outside as much as it affected us you know it's still they were he was right in right in the center of it um uh, and it was such a unifying moment, you know, when Piazza hit that home run that, that game because, because, in it, it, New York, there that you know they were the center of it. You know, like you were saying, they you know they they uh, they ran a lot of operations right out of there, right? They did. Um, but it's, you know, it's, and you hear you hear from a guy that's been there. You know, those are the kind of things that when they happen. Is, is is as bad as it was? You know, you should never forget them. It's good to it's good to hear about them again, just to keep it in on everybody's mind never how forget how crazy things are. Exact, Exactly. So, but, uh, r- really a touching story.
1: It was, it was, it was, uh, and, and I couldn't even imagine being the GM of a franchise in New York during that time. And what you had to put through with the security. And then of course, uh, everyone was on edge. Uh, and, uh, then that one magical night that people came together, the home run, it was like, it lifted America, not just New York to see that.
0: Yeah. They, Hey, Stevie was a great G- GM. He really was. A yeah, he- you know, very good baseball guy. Very hardworking. Very organized and, and a fair guy. You know, he gave me my first job, as he, he talked about. And, um, yeah, there's not many guys that could probably handle that, but he he could.
1: Yeah. I hope to bring him back sometime uh, later this season as well. But uh, now inspired by our friends at Miller Lite, let's get Gibby's Roast and Toast for the week. And, John, I know you have a, a roast that you definitely wanted to talk about. And uh, you, was a catcher, you saw some things that happened in Major League <laughs> Baseball this past week that probably had your eyes open a little bit and say, what the heck is going on? Uh, do you want to describe it, or do you want me to kind of give you a little setup for it?
0: Well, hopefully everybody saw it. or <laughs> They were going scratching How their head. You know, we're talking, oh, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about that play, the Texas Rangers. Uh,
1: you know, Jonah Heim, sorry. he was given a violation for not giving the White Sox run to Elvis Andres a lane at home plate. I mean, it didn't look like there was anything wrong with that. And then he calls, gets called for a violation, and the run scores, uh, ties the game, and uh, Bruce Bochi went out of his mind.
0: Well, Johnny, you know, it's, it's, almost, it's, it's almost embarrassing for the sport. I got I to tell you the truth. I'd have been too embarrassed to, you know, to even uh, appeal it, probably, going being an ex-catcher. But my my boy kid used to play for me. Pedro as the manager over the White Sox, and then I see the White Sox celebrate. I'm going, oh gosh, <laughs> you know. And, and uh, but here's the problem with it all. In all seriousness, you know, I never understood the rule when it began when it, they they put it in. You know, it's kind of ironic though uh, they put it in for Bochi's catcher uh, Buster Posey, right? Yeah. The Buster Posey rule um, yeah. when he's with the Giants. But it's guys don't get hurt all the time, right? But, but well, for whatever reason. Uh, the problem is okay. Say say the uh, Houston gets hot again. They come and they catch the Rangers or something. Or maybe there's a there's a, a tight separation in the wild card teams. And say the Rangers lose out by a game or something. Let's say whether it's winning the division or you, you, and being a wildcard team or just completely out of it. It's, you know, probably not going to happen, but you never know. And you look back at one game. And you're thinking, okay, the guy's guy's clearly out. You know the game. You know in in uh, but then. It's such a vague rule, and you send it up to New York, and it becomes an interpretation. Well, did he give him room to slide? Come on. Really? I mean, are we that bad. You know, it's like,
1: I don't, I don't you yeah, know. Yeah, uh, Bochi said it best, you know, uh, after the game, one of the worst calls I've ever seen. How can you block the plate from behind the plate?
0: Yeah, but I, I would like to know how come I don't they what don't they tell us the umpires the, the crew that was up there in New York made that decision because yeah. I'm surely one guy didn't sign off. There had to be a couple going, Yeah, we agree, you know, what what have you. They should some umpires angry.
1: up there yeah. <laughs> they shouldn't like boat Anonymous. They're anonymous yeah. up there in New York who we'll make these calls that sometimes are just outrageous and you have to say that this call was certainly uh qualifying as outrageous. But uh, we got to talk about something good, a toast of the week, and got to give it this week to the Cincinnati Reds rookie shortstop, Ellie De La Cruz. De La Cruz made his debut less than two weeks ago and has sparked the Reds to an amazing run. The rookie already has three home runs, 10 RBIs, eight stolen bases, has an OPS of nine eighty nine, and he hit for the cycle already, which was the first cycle from a Reds player – Since 1989, he became the youngest player in 51 years to hit for the cycle at just 21 years of age, the last being Cesar Cedeno in 1972. Yeah, the Reds won 9 of 11 since De La Cruz was brought up. They now lead the NL Central, all this with a team payroll that ranks 26th in the big leagues at only $83 million. So toast of the week. Gotta go to De La Cruz and the Reds.
0: Yeah, yeah, hey, Johnny. You know what? Yeah, what? A, you know, you just look at a kid and you think, dang, this guy, this guy can do it all. You know, he he, he kind of reminds me. Of, I saw some things. I thought, that looked like a young Daryl Strawberry. I was bit, just about
1: know? to say that he a reminded nutty, me of know? a young Daryl Strawberry.
0: L- long and lean, you know, and yep. can can do could really do about anything. And but there's no doubt, um, you know, the Reds. What what a great story, right? You know, early on, everybody's, you know, they're just kind of there, you know. Even there's even talk about managers on the hot seat, you know David Bell and all that. And now here's a kid comes along that sparks you. I mean they were playing good, and then they brought him up, and then they, of yeah. course they now they got Joey Votto back, and he's yes uh, after a race. You know they're legit, and it's but this is how the game works. We talk about with well, the Blue Jays on the roller coaster, whatever. It was a little over a month ago. We we're talking about the, like the Pittsburgh Pirates were like the you know the talk of the town, doing everything right, blah blah blah. Now they're a couple of games out of the cellar. You yeah, know, they fell off a cliff. That's how the, yeah, that's you know you never know how what's going to happen in this game, and in in uh, that's kind of the beauty of it, and that's what's so good about these wild card spots because, you know, nobody's really out of it, you know, till the end a lot of times. So yeah, but but good but but good for him, good for the Cincinnati Reds franchise. You know, they were one of my favorite teams all the time because yeah, you know Johnny Bench was their catcher in oh, yeah. the big red machine, and, the and big red uh, machine they deserve that man. It's, it's too good of a baseball city and a historic franchise did you know that did not be good.
1: Yeah, we're very happy for the Cincinnati franchise and the city of Cincinnati, great town and uh I've been to several games there at that ballpark and it's a, just it's a great atmosphere. Uh but uh toasting the Cincinnati Reds uh, inspired by our friends at Miller Lite. Well, that about wrap up this edition of the Gibby show. Don't forget to order a copy of Gibby's book, Gibby Tales of a Baseball Lifer written by Gibby and Greg Oliver. And don't forget to check uh, Gibby out on all of the social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel for The Gibby Show that is on YouTube. And you can see all the episodes there and clips and highlights. So... Uh, I invite you to go to the YouTube channel because it really is uh, great to be able to look back at all the shows for John Gibbons. This is John Arezzi. We'll talk more baseball with you next week, right here on the Gibby show. Uh, have a great Canada day. Uh, everyone up in Canada, have a great week, everyone, all the baseball fans and go blue Jays.
0: The big red.